in a very simple matter of terms, uh, jobs to be done is looking at what the customer is trying to do and then innovating solutions to solve that pain point for the customer. We have returned with another episode of the Cold Star Project, the podcast about the unexpected challenges of scaling. I am with, once again, Attila Dobe, who is a manager of strategy and innovation at uh, rental company Avis. And uh, we're super glad to have him back. I wanted to dig in more to the uh, service industry problem solving ability that Attila has because it's different from my own, which focuses more on manufacturing. And what we thought we'd talk about today is the first step in uh, any problem solving process that you happen to use, right? Uh, you know, for me, it's shred em, select, right? For you, it's the D in do it, which is? Define. Define, exactly. Define. And uh, so I thought we could dig into what uh, we could learn about that first step in problem solving of select or define and uh, what differences there are like we don't just want to rush in is is the point here right otherwise we're going to attack symptoms instead of problems i just did a solo episode of the cold star project about that and uh, that would lead us to trouble so attila thanks for coming back well thanks for having me on you bet. So what can people learn about, uh, about problem solving and especially for service firms? What kind of brought this on? Well, you know, I think, I think the tools that we use in, you know, especially Lean Six Sigma, um, you know, they were developed for quality improvement on manufacturing lines. Mm -hmm. um, in, in most service industries, you don't have a manufacturing line. Um, so the, it requires, a, I think, a little bit of a different approach um, than perhaps what we're taught in school. Uh, you combine that with, you know, the difference between the science of, uh, of continuous improvement that we learn in the classroom environment and the, the art of actually applying it. Hmm. Um, it it's required me to rethink, um, you know, really the, the, the entire matrix of how we approach uh, continuous improvement or, or operational excellence. There's definitely problems that arise uh, in the whole end-to-end -end, uh, aspect of continuous improvement or, or OPEX. Um, things typically even either have vision or they have uh, execution. Um, and when those two aren't combined, you do run into a whole lot of problems. Okay. What we also wanted to focus on today was giving people who are not necessarily CEOs or founders some tools to work with, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You know, you don't, you don't need to be a CEO or a founder um, to really use these tools really, really effectively. Right. Yeah. And if, if you are a CEO or founder, take these tools to, uh, to your employees, show them, show them this podcast. You know, you know, give them I, I do talk to a lot of CEOs and COOs that are, are really frustrated um, with how continuous improvement is going for them, uh, you know, especially on the, on the services side. Um, and and I, I hope that what we cover today can be very helpful for them. 
Yeah, I think it will be. I mean, you know, you're a Six Sigma black belt and that involves a lot of statistical process control. And for that, we think of like Toyota or Honda or something like that, right? But in the service industry, you don't get that much discrete data. There are process steps and kind of logic gates, right? Uh, but a lot of it's qualitative too, like customer satisfaction. That's That's on a range. That's not A or B or even C or D. It's it's kind of a spectrum of things. So how can people start with, with decide on this first step of the do its process? Uh, you know, I like to start with strategic vision. So I like to know that we've got a direction that we're trying to go. Um, we have some type of long-term vision for the company uh, because it, it is very difficult to really map out a plan if you don't have vision for where you're going. Um, in, in a lot of companies, uh, unfortunately, don't seem to have that vision really locked in. It's not something that's, you know, measurable. Um, it's not something that's time bound. Um, it seems that a lot of companies, unfortunately, are, you know, their strategic vision is survive. Mm. And not thrive, but just kind of get by. <laughs> right. How, how can a person know whether they're running a company or in the company as an employee? that they are missing that strategic vision and that that's an area that needs focus. Yeah, so what you'll see is that projects will be all over the place. Um, they won't necessarily be, um, you know, really dialed in on what's going to move the company forward because if there's not a consensus on what the company needs to move forward, um, then it's hard to uh, ensure that your projects are really aligned with, with that vision. Um, so that's definitely one of the things that you see. Another thing you'll see is projects that, you know, start and then stop abruptly, um, you know, change scopes. Um, I'm sure you've seen that too, Jason, where, yep. you know, the scope creep just keeps moving the project in another direction and you never end up actually finishing the project. Um, you'll see projects that don't have uh, the desired impact or the desired results. Um, those typically all come from, uh, you know, lack of, of strategic vision. Okay. And for those of you who are running smaller businesses, or maybe you're seeing this on Facebook and you run an internet marketing based business and you're wondering about the corporate situation, let me tell you, I got friends who are outsourced CMOs and that, and they get to look and or have been uh, in these organizations running them in the past. And uh, it's a mess out there. It, there's a real lack of strategic vision in corporations as well as the smaller businesses uh, that individuals are running. Uh, I'll tell you, there's, um, I'm thinking of Stephen Monaco who was on about uh, a voice of customer programs was his thing. And <laughs> these, these folks are being inundated with marketing that is telling them they should have all these tools. And so they go, oh no, I don't wanna be left behind. So they get all these tools and they begin implementing and then the end of the quarter approaches and they're looking at their P&L and their quarterly earnings statements and they're going, damn, I have to appease the customer. They're expecting this rate of return. And so they literally, like if you imagine this Greek hoplite with his spear and shield, they drop everything. They drop their spear and shield and go running to try and appease that, uh, that, that market share problem, you know, and they lower prices. That's their strategy is they lower prices to try and make the revenue that they need to make to hit that quarterly revenue target. And so when you say, 
people are not completing their projects or that the scope is changing and it's the never ending story <laughs> of process improvement, right? In a bad way. Uh, I, I totally get you. I know what's going on out there. It's, it's really a mess. It's really a mess. And so companies that can do what you're recommending and get that uh, super level strategic vision sorted out, they are going to have a competitive advantage if they can stick to that. Just from that one decision alone, there'll be so many spillover effects. So yeah, are, uh, do you want to expand on that or do you want to? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, perhaps a bit of a tangent here, sure. Jason, but uh, you know, what, one of the things that I find, uh, especially in the marketing space, is that when we apply statistical tools, you brought up the statistical tools of a master black belt uh, earlier in the conversation. Um, I find that people tend to make decisions based off of correlations. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is very dangerous lately. You know, we can run hypothesis tests and we can come up with correlations in data, but those correlations aren't necessarily causation. I, I saw a perfect example of this uh, recently on Facebook. A company is advertising um, these $6,000 tents to a friend of mine who would have no interest in camping, let alone spending $6,000 on a tent. Um, and the likely root cause of that is that they built their marketing campaign based off of correlation mm. without any regards to causation. Um, and I, I know that, you know, correlation isn't causation is a very common uh, mantra in our business, right? Um, but I, I, think that, I think that there's ways that, uh, you know, black belt or master black belt could really drive that home for a marketer um, mm. and help them prevent spending money um, on ads that aren't going to generate the revenue that they, they hope it would. Right. So those people uh, who, who set up that marketing campaign to your friend may have chosen it by uh, income level and geographic location. So, oh, they're living in uh, Colorado and making above 50000 a year. They must be interested in camping. Right. 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 I, I, my, my guess is, that unfortunately, I don't know anybody in marketing at that company, um, but I'd love to pick their head because it, you know, it's, uh, I think that they use some type of customer segmentation data, um, and he probably fell within that segment. Yeah. Um, but he fell in that segment because of correlation, not causation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it could be like they, they, these people, we bought a customer list for this brand of toilet paper or something like that. And, right. <laughs> and there's an R factor or something, you know, of, of 0.6 maybe or something between that and, and this. So, hmm. And, and most of it's probably due to the living in Colorado and having the, uh, the mindset and the ability to go camping. I mean, you're not going to do a whole lot of that in New Jersey. Um, <laughs> even, even though it's not a very densely populated state. So, all right. Uh, you've got a thing here listed in our notes, JTBD. What is that? How can people use it? Um, so that is jobs to be done and it comes from the innovation world. Um, but when we, when we really look at the root cause of why innovation tools are used or continuous improvement tools are used, what you'll find is that they're all about problem solving. Um, so JTBD, Jobs to be Done, comes from the innovation side, uh, specifically Clay Christensen, a uh, professor out of, uh, out of Harvard who's teaching the online course that I'm in right now with uh, HBS. Um, he pioneered the idea of jobs to be done. And on, 
in a very simple matter of terms, uh, jobs to be done is looking at what the customer is trying to do and then innovating solutions uh, to solve that pain point for the customer. Um, for your online marketing folks, this is uh, you know, typically wrapped up into finding a niche or a niche, uh, depending on which version you use. Um, and it, it, you know, from a very surface level, it, it's, it's fairly simple. It's you know, look at the jobs that they're trying to do and then solve a problem for it. A uh, perfect example of this, or a really simple case study uh, that I saw recently on LinkedIn, uh, another continuous improvement professional was uh, doing a gimbal walk. And these, these, these people working on a line, this is in the manufacturing world, but they're working on a line and they're using shrink, shrink wrap uh, basically to cobble together their own tool so that they can, so that they can work faster, so that they can produce more units. Um, so what he did is he went and applied JTBD and said, okay, I've identified a customer, in, the, in this case, uh, an employee on a line, which is of course the customer of your process. And he, he developed a tool, innovated a tool that was very cheap to manufacture that this company could then give to the employees on the line so that they could do their job faster. Um, perfect example of integrating, you know, standard CI, uh, you know, gimbal lock from the lean world or Toyota world. Um, combining that with innovation tools and leading to uh, a, a problem being solved that helps the company. Now, what I really like about the idea of uh, implementing innovation on this is that the company doesn't have to stop with, okay, we solved, we solved our employee's pain point. If they're really smart, they say, we had this pain point. There's probably a hundred other companies that have this same pain point, so why not innovate this tool uh, invent it, produce it, and sell it. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. <laughs> right. I, I like uh, that they, you know, I think it's important to step back and note that this problem, this production line problem was not going away. It was not going to resolve itself uh, until the company decides they're either not making that product anymore or they're going to completely redesign how it's put together. That problem is going to be there and therefore this handle is worth creating. Right, right. And you bring up you bring up a good point, uh, Jason, in that you know when we're when you're bridging this gap between strategy and execution, one of the one of the key things that anybody at any level can do here is estimate what the future is going to look like. Because in my opinion, there's nothing worse than making a making a process more efficient or effective when that entire process is going away. If it's a line of business that you're going to be getting out of, any work that you put into to efficiency or effectiveness um, is going to be flushed down the drain if, if you get rid of that entire line. Right. Um, but it, I do find that a lot of companies don't spend a lot of time uh, trying to understand uh, what the future of their industry is going to look like, what the future of their business is going to look like. Um, you know, there was. Um, you know, like the works of uh, Daniel Burris, I think, are, are great for that. Uh, anticipatory, anticipatory Organization by Daniel Burris. Um, really a, a great book for thinking about what the future looks like. 
Very, very important. I mean, a lot of us listening would say, well, of course you wouldn't improve on a process that's going away. It sounds logically sensible, right? But in the heat of the moment, in the heat of the immersion, when the bonfire is occurring right in front of you, that you can't avoid it, right? That you're you're tempted to do things. I mean, we see this, I, I, I mentioned that example of the, the soldier throwing down his sword and shield, these tools that you purported were so important to develop at the beginning of the quarter, and then running to solve the, the tire fire of, oh my gosh, I need to make money uh, to hit our quarterly revenue targets. This stuff is going on all the time. And if you think you're immune to it, you got another thing coming. Absolutely. So, so yes. why do most continuous improvement projects fail in your opinion? I think most of them simply aren't aligned with, with strategic vision. Um, I, I think if they're aligned with strategic vision, if they're really driving the company towards a breakthrough goal, um, then they don't fail. They have the executive support that they need. Um, they, they, have, they have all of the tools that a uh, black belt or green belt would need in order to motivate the team uh, towards success. Um, they generally end up with the resources that they need in order to get done. Um, so then it becomes very simple, I think, for a green belt or a black belt to uh, start applying the tools to really move the needle for the company. They bring the right skill set, uh, develop an action plan, and now we've, we've got a situation in which good change can happen. Um, but unfortunately, um, many of them are not really aligned with, uh, with any type of strategic vision. Um, it's you know identify that there's a pain point out there and then try to fix it. Right, and doing that in isolation is dumb. It <laughs> we cause a lot of pain. Yeah, it's, uh, there's a second and third order consequences that are unattended, and also just not having a clear idea of where you're going. So I think we need to cover then, Attila. Uh, how can people get a vision together? And the first thing that comes to mind for me is Cameron Harold's book, Vivid, Vivid Vision. Uh, which I just took a moment to look up because I get him and a couple other people confused sometimes. <laughs> but it is Cameron Harold, Vivid Vision. I've been through the process myself. Uh, what other ideas do you have to help executives come up with uh, a strategic vision? Um, definitely, definitely the book by by Burris. Um, you know, great anticipatory. Uh, yeah, anticipatory organization. Yeah, great, great read. Um, I recommend the video by Sinek. Um, I uh, forget the exact title. I've watched it like 200 times. Uh, Drop the link that. in messaging after yeah. and I'll link it. With yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's basically finding your why. If you look at that TEDx. Oh, Simon Sinek. Yeah, start with yeah. why, right? Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, you know, he's got a couple of great books. Um, that video should be required watching for any executive in any company, period. Um, yeah, th- those are two of, the, two of the areas that I would recommend. Um, you know, there's more wonky kind of uh, geek out tools that we could talk about, you know, Hoshin Conry, the X Matrix. Um, I think the tool is a little less important than the intention. Um, so I really wouldn't want to spend a, a ton of time on that. But I think the key takeaway uh, is to ensure that when, when you're forming your vision, that you do have this bi-directional uh, communication with that tool. Um, you know, whether it be Hoshin Connery or, or whatever tool you want to use, um, ensure that communication is constantly going back and forth between, uh, you know, the front lines in the boardroom. 
Hmm. Uh, because strategy strategy shouldn't be something that is uh, you know thought of in, in annual terms. Uh, it needs to be thought of in continuous terms. Okay, very good. Uh, what else should leaders and organizations, whether they're at the top or a line employee, uh, but leading or wanting to lead, be thinking of in terms of this first step in the process? So you get your vision together, and then what? Well, what are what are areas that we can work on that actually impact that vision? So, if our goal is to you know grow, uh, say even a margin by X number of points over the next three years, um, how are we going to do that? Are we going to do that through uh, increasing our revenues? Are we going to do that through reducing our cost exposure? Um, you know, without shrinking revenues. <laughs> Um, you know, how are we going to do that? And then let's look at our processes and understand how our processes actually support uh, that vision. Okay, so strategic vision, yep. which implies strategy. That's <laughs> <laughs> what you were talking about there. Being able to define that, okay, here's our objective, this is what we're doing. And then I have a sense that there is something, which we've been kind of walking around, but I want to get a clearer definition of it in your terms, between that and the jobs to be done. So what's in the middle there? Um, yeah, so basically the, the way that I like to approach this is first understand that vision and then start looking at, at our processes, specifically through the jobs to be done lens. Um, so we're looking for um, you know, areas where customers are cobbling together some type of tool. Um, we're looking for underserved markets. We're looking for overserved or markets that are, are served just right. When I say markets, I mean it very loosely. So this could be all internal processes, um, or it could be you know the wider market as a whole that our company is selling products to. Um, you know, if it's if it's an underserved market, um, I like to use sustaining innovation tools for that. Um, specifically, looking at our core growth. So how can we make our core product uh, better for that underserved customer? How can we add quality? By adding quality, how can we? Sorry, Jason. It's Commissioner add... Gordon, man, I can't can't <laughs> block that. Normally, I unplug that thing. I apologize. <laughs> um, I imagine you'll edit that out. Um, I think yeah. I'll leave it in. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so in the underserved markets, um, you know, you use a sustaining innovation path for those. Um, you're trying to build quality, and by building a qu higher quality product for those underserved customers that are begging for more quality, um, this is an excellent area to use standard quality improvement tools. Um, you know, the standard Lean Six Sigma tools are great for this, so let, let's improve the quality of the product, deliver a better product for, for our core customers, uh, and be able to charge more for it. On the inverse of that, you have the overserved customers, and what overserved means here is that the price point for entry for that customer is simply too high. So here we're going to look for uh, lower end innovation. So let's, let's change up the quality aspect of a product, um, deliver something that is just right for that segment of customers that are currently uh, non-customers or cobbling together something to, uh, to deliver a, a value. Um, Let's figure out a way to help those customers, probably not through our core product, um, but through some product that actually competes with us ourselves, hmm. or 
uh, you know, or if you're one of these, uh, you know, online guys uh, trying to create a new business, um, a great area to find a niche. Um, I just thought of some example. Tell me if this is a fit for this. Cause I, it yeah. feels right. Uh, there was a friend of mine who went to Disneyland or Disney World. I think it was the one in Florida with his family. And he was like, I have $20,000 to spend on a really great experience. What can I buy? Because the standard stuff that you guys have isn't enough for us. We want more and we're willing to pay. And he had to call up the chain in the executive uh, you know, sweet uh, uh, for, for Disney to get somebody to put a package together that would make him and his family happy. Is that an example that would fit in here? Because that has that sort of semi-cannibalistic, uh, right? Because if, if they don't buy the regular high-level package, but they're buying this, that's better. Uh, yeah, so they, that to me would be an example of an underserved market hmm. um, where he's looking for something higher quality, something mm -hmm. uh, higher delivery, He's willing to pay more uh, than, than your current customers are willing to pay. And that's a perfect example of underserved. So that, that could be an opportunity for Disney then right. to look at their current offerings and say, hey, can we offer something that's even higher quality um, to customers like that that are willing to pay for it? Because clearly if, if somebody's going that far out of their way um, to try to give you money, um, my recommendation is to get out of their way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Create a container, yeah, to accept that money and give them a, a great experience. And it's a service, which <laughs> I thought would fit right in. Okay. So hopefully that should give a, a good picture to, uh, to our listeners about how to use this stuff. Is there anything that we've missed just before we wrap up? Uh, you know, I think, we hit the, uh, I think we hit the key points, um, you know, on the head. Uh, you know, the, there's... I think that there's one mentality in our in our profession, Jason, that says that you know that there's a pure approach. It worked for Toyota. It worked for Motorola. So we're going to approach it exactly the same way that uh, that these other guys did. And I see you shaking your head, your other. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, just in talking to you, I I know you well enough to know that you're you're not one of those guys. But they, unfortunately, those. Um, that mentality is, is very prevalent. Um, you know, when you talk to a lot of practitioners actually in companies, they will say that, you know, it's worked for Toyota, so it has to work exactly the same way here. Um, I prefer right. to take a very, very uh, methodology agnostic approach mm -hmm. um, to problem solving. Uh, you know, I don't care what field it comes out of. If it, if it came out of the Toyota way, if it came out of lean, if it was something that worked well with Motorola or it's working at Ford, um, I will gladly steal from any of those methodologies um, and then apply it to the clients that I work with. Um, you know, and I think that, that that's probably an important takeaway for folks that are listening, especially if they're in, in a similar field to us or in the same field as us. Um, don't, don't be a purist. Um, always approach, you know, continuous improvement has to be approached as being a, a customized product. Um, and I know that the, the, the lean guys probably just cringed, you know, and they, <laughs> they like the, these flow systems. But, uh, you know, and unfortunately, um, yeah, I think when you apply this, especially in the services industry, it, it requires a custom approach. It really does. 
Yeah, makes sense to me. I mean, I just go, are you Toyota? Do you, are you operating under the same conditions as Toyota? Do you have the same number of limbs as they do? Probably not. And then you need a different set of clothes, you know? So how can... Yes, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, so I once I once heard this story about Motorola uh, when they were winning the, the Baldrige Award um, and how they overemphasized the analyzed phase of a demand. Um, very deliberately uh, to try to protect their, uh, you know, their own process, their own methodology, uh, protect it from uh, other other companies really taking it away, taking it away. I don't know if there's any truth to that whatsoever, but it makes sense to me. Having you know sat through hundreds now of uh, domain projects, um, I do feel that the analyze phase is uh, probably a little overdone on most of them. Right. Yep. And I, I will bring people back to the front end of that process or any process about choosing, selecting, deciding what yes. to work on and the scope and how to know when you've won. When have you succeeded? What are the criteria for achievement here? Uh, well, I guess that's a, a great place for us to stop. Uh, I definitely want you back. Uh, I think I think you're going to just be, uh, there's that phone again. Um, you're going to be a regular on, uh, on the show if you want to be. <laughs> I'm definitely happy to have you here to talk about all these different topics. We'll never, we'll never run out of them. Uh, how can people get a hold of you, Atella? What is, what is the best way? Uh, the best way would be via email or via my website. Hmm. The website is uh, dobai.com. Uh, email is Attila. A-T-T-I-L-A at Dobay.com. I'm also super easy to find on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, pretty much whatever your favorite method of following people is, uh, I'm pretty easy to find on all of them. Great. Well, my guest today has been Attila Dobay, and he is a manager of strategy and innovation at Avis, and I really appreciate having him on the show and his perspective. So look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks, Jason.